Good to see you. Hey. Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to Bethel Church. And welcome to our uh, exciting day here at this uh, campus for reasons that you've already been uh, told about. I am just so delighted to be here. I am so excited about uh, uh, Dan Jacobson. And uh, I came here in a, in a hurry. I preached at our uh, Gary campus already this morning at the 930 service and jumped in a car and raced over here. And I'm actually giving a different message. I've never done this before. <laughs> Two different messages the same weekend. But uh, I, uh, and by the way, God's doing great things at the Gary campus. Friday night, we had three uh, teenagers at our epic youth night, uh, Receive Christ as Their Savior, which is great. <laughs> We're celebrating that. And uh, it was great to be, to be there. But hey, we're talking about this campus now. We got exciting things going on at this campus. And uh, I want to, uh, uh, today in my message, I want to uh, give a kind of installation message for uh, Pastor Dan, who you've already met. And by the way, isn't that a cool connection with his grandfather in this campus? He, he shared that uh, some weeks ago and, and it's like goosebump kind of thing and just so cool. But uh, I want to just talk about Dan a little bit. We connected with Dan through actually another guy that we were considering for this position. And he looked, he looked at the job description and he said, that's not me. That's not for me. And uh, he said, but I got a friend who would be an awesome fit for him. And his name's Dan Jacobson. And so that was really the connection uh, how we got to know Dan. And, uh, so we began to talk and share and right away, I just felt an affinity with Dan. And, uh, my sense has been from the very beginning that Dan was the man. That just sounds right. Doesn't it? Dan, the man. And, uh, it just played out so beautifully and God's timing, the way that God works when, uh, he's just making things happen. But I had another indication that Dan, Dan was the man, uh, on, uh, last Sunday because I texted him and I said, Dan, you're not going to believe it, but there's a local basketball facility that is giving us a gym floor that we're going to be able to use at our, at our HP campus. And, uh, as I sent it and Jennifer, my wife right here as my witness, I said to her, I said, let's find out if we hired the right guy. I sent, I put send the text went through. Five seconds later, I got this text, and now I am quoting. That's amazing. What time? I'd like to come. And I said to Jennifer, I said, we hired the right guy. Okay? We hired the right guy. Now, he didn't come. But uh, we still think we got the right guy. I also want to, uh, I want to pause for a moment, and I want to acknowledge uh, Pastor Brad Lagos a moment. Okay? You know, this past summer, as we worked through all of the details of, of merging and all of the details of getting going, um, Pastor Brad has, in my opinion, provided remarkable leadership through that process. And in my opinion, if he had been born about 40 years earlier, he would have helped uh, organize the D-Day landing uh, because Brad has a very uh, unique gift to be able to analyze where things are, 
have a sense of where they need to go, and then to organize things to get there. And over the last, uh, what's it been, six months or so, uh, Brad has uh, so much of the remodel, so much of the people things, connecting people and all of that. He's thought through it. I remember getting a list from him of all the things that needed to be ha- needed to be taken care of. And it looked somewhat like what was given to Eisenhower uh, prior to the D-Day landing. And uh, Brad put that whole thing together. And I just want to publicly say thank you and great job. We're so thankful. Pastor Brad Lagos, can we just acknowledge him a moment? Indeed, well done. Okay, we want to get into God's Word here, and uh, my text today is Hebrews 13, verse 17. When I, when I uh, uh, realized that I would be giving uh, this message on Dan's first uh, Sunday, this is the text that came to my mind right away, and I to, still believe it's the right one. And so I'd like to uh, talk with you about what does it look like when healthy sheep are being shepherded by healthy shepherds. What does that relationship look like? What does it feel like in a biblical, healthy church when things in, in terms of leadership, shepherd and sheep, when that is the way that God intends it to be? Now, uh, I don't know if you're comfortable being called sheep or not. Some people might say, I am way better than a sheep. Actually, the Bible says that all of us are sheep and that there's only one true shepherd of the church. Hebrews also says that Jesus is the shepherd of the church. Uh, Now, I'm a pastor. We have a couple elders here. We're going to pray over Dan here at the end of the service. Um, Dan is now a pastor here, is the campus pastor here at at this campus. But there's only one real, true shepherd of the church. He is the chief shepherd, and his name is Jesus Christ. We are deputy shepherds. We serve in a role of under-shepherds, where uh, God, in his, the mystery of his will, chooses to use frail, broken, gospel-needing people to lead the church. And uh, this is described here in Hebrews 13, verse 17, let me just read it, and then we're going to kind of walk through it and talk about what that means for the days ahead here at this campus. Here's what it says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, if you, if you are there in Hebrews 13, you can see that there is actually quite a bit here in this chapter about leadership, about spiritual leadership. We see in verse, verses 7 through 9 that it's talking about leadership. Verses 17 through 19 about leadership. Verse 24, there is a greeting to the leaders of this church, probably a church in Rome, uh, the book of Hebrews was, was written to. And what we see from this is that very early in the church, in the first century of the church, long before key doctrines were clarified and long before a lot of really important things were, was defined, they understood leadership. They didn't read this and go, who's he talking about? Leaders. Obey your leaders. Who are the leaders around here anyway? They already knew who the leaders were. And we find that in the New Testament that there is a high value on 
leadership and what those leaders, their character is to be like and what, how they are to serve. And yes, what the relationship between the leaders and those that they are leading ought to look like and what that ought to feel like. We see this in the ministry of Paul, of course. The church begins, Paul goes across to Asia Minor, and he is establishing churches. And over and over again, we find him establishing leaders in those churches. In fact, here's Acts 14, verse 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their Trust And so as he's establishing churches, he keeps his eye on the leadership ball. Who's, the, who's going to be the leader here? Who can I entrust responsibility to? Because when he was gone, who would be in charge of the place? Who would be carrying over the people? Who would be uh, carrying on the mission? Who would be spreading, teaching, leading the gospel? It was going to be leaders. And so there was a very high view of leadership in the church. And so here at Bethel Church, one of our core values is is leadership and we just simply want to do what the bible says you can look at first timothy 3 titus 1 who's called to lead the church elders are called to lead the church and so we have in our church we have elders in our church we also have deacons as first timothy 3 also describes and those uh, deacons lead in the serving ministries of the church so we have elders and pastors giving oversight. We have deacons leading in the serving ministries, and these provide leadership for the church. Now, the first word here in verse 17 might be a troubling one. As I read it, maybe the hair on the back of some of your necks stood up, because do you see what the first word is there? It's a tough word. Can we say it together? Obey. Oh, it comes out hard. It's like, I'm sorry with Fonzie right? Uh, it's an old sitcom. Many of you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. But uh, it begins with obey. The very first word to describe the relationship is obey. Now, before you freak out here, let's just ask the question, what does this word mean? And uh, as you probably know, the New Testament was written in a different language than English, the Greek language. And we find the word that is used there is used other places. Here's a good example. In James chapter 3, the word is used to describe a bridled horse. Okay, a bridled horse. Now you have the horses that run wild on the, on the range, and then you have the bridled horse. And the bridled horse is the horse that is being led, right? It's able to be led. There's no confusion with the horse as to, like, who's the horse and who's leading the horse. I ran into a family at our, uh, from our church at the grocery store once, and uh, here was this mom, and she's there with her kids, and, and, and she's pushing around. Maybe you've seen these at the grocery store where they have, it's like a make-believe car, right? And uh, so the kids are in the front seat. There was a little boy and a little girl. And I looked, and lo and behold, in this car, there were two steering wheels, in this car, there were each of the kids, they were sitting there and they're steering, they're doing the steering wheel on their, on their car. Uh, now that's cute. And maybe some of you have taken advantage of that uh, little toy at the grocery store, but it's also preposterous. Somebody should write a letter <laughs> about this because you can't have two steering wheels in a car, can you? There, there can only be one steering wheel in the car. Now, you can have a lot of people that are in the car imagining that they're at the steering wheel of the car, right? Uh, 
How many of you have a spouse that imagines as you're driving that they're actually driving the car? Can you, some of you relate to that, right? How many of you have a spouse that when they're driving ought to listen more to your advice as they're driving? Some of you can probably relate to that, right? Did you just raise your hand in the front row? We call that backseat driving or side seat driving. Somebody that is not actually at the wheel, but they want to be at the wheel or they imagine that they're actually the ones that are steering. And so we need to clarify biblically who is called to steer the local church. Elders are called to steer the local church. Paul established elders in every town, in every church. Okay? So we have to make sure that that's clear, that there is a steering wheel in this church, and there are people that are biblically called to be at the steering wheel of the church. Now, the rest of the church, the text here says, is called to two things. Okay, Obey and submit. Now, if obedience was a hard word for you, submission might also be a, a tough one. Uh, obedience is the action. Submission is the attitude. Submission means to defer. It's used for yielding your seat. Okay, If somebody comes, you go, oh, here, take my seat. That's the word there for submission. It means to hold in respect, to, to have a, a high view Sheep are called to have a kind of deferential reverence. Reverence isn't the right word, but a, a, a respect for those that are called to lead them. That's the sense of it here. Here's Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. And this is the, uh, the answer to that kind of internal struggle that we oftentimes have with people that are in authority over us. It might be our boss, it might be a teacher, it could be the principal, it could be the police officer, it could be whoever, somebody that's in authority over us. We oftentimes will think to ourselves, they don't deserve that, right? Or I, I don't think that they're the right person for that. And yet, the, the Bible calls us to respect our Caesars, our presidents, our governors, our principals. Why? Because every authority is established by God. And so I am respectful to authority because I see it's, it's submission to God that leads to submission to that, to that authority. That's the way that it works. So within the church then, uh, you are led by very imperfect people. People that if you got to know up close, and you'd see lots of flaws in them. You would see how much they need the gospel. I say that about myself. My wife is in a, has a front row perspective and you'll notice that moments ago she raised her hand. So it's not that there is uh, a perfect person that is in that elder role or pastor role. I don't know. I'm getting to know Pastor Dan better, but I know one thing about him. He's not perfect. He's far from it, right? In fact, his wife raised her hand as well, (laughs) or she wished she had. And yet we respect those that are in authority over us because we respect God. And every authority is established by the Lord. Now, you might be here saying to yourself, that doesn't seem fair. Who do they think they are? I mean, talk about having it easy. We got to do all this sort of submitting thing. And you get to lead. 
Actually, let me ask the question. Is it easier to submit to leadership or is it easier to lead in the church? And this text actually answers that very resoundingly. Because what does the text say? What about these leaders? For they are keeping watch over your souls. Notice the next clause. As those who will have to give an account. So as hard as it might be at times to follow an imperfect leader, it is way harder to be the leader knowing that every decision you make, every shepherding that you do, every counsel that you give, every message that you give, every opportunity in ministry is something that someday I will have to give an account for. This message is something that I'm going to give an account to the Lord Jesus himself for. So which would you rather do? Listen to the sermon or deliver it? (laughs) Knowing that that message is part of what the Lord Jesus is evaluating in terms of the quality right now of my ministry to you. The Bible says uh, in James, "Don't, don't aspire to be a teacher. Why? Because don't you realize that teachers incur stricter judgment? Will it be easier on the final day to have been a leader or to have been a follower? Dan Jacobson is going to give an account to the Lord for the quality of his leadership and his ministry at this campus. That is a high and terrifying calling. And we need to see that because it gives us compassion for what he is called to do here. And it kind of rallies us, doesn't it? to come alongside him and to help him. Because, man, this guy is going to give an account for this. And it's not to the government, and it's not to me. It is to the only one whose opinion matters. There's another passage of Scripture that talks about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes about ministry and spiritual leadership. Here's what it says. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. And the picture there is that ministry, gospel ministry is, you know, we're building on the ministry of the apostles. And in a sense, we could say this campus is building on the ministry of Bethel Church and Central Baptist Church and all the people that have gone before us who have labored and served and ministered and have given I mean, I think even of this facility, the people that have given for this facility and this land and this ministry here, we're building on what they have done. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. That's the good news. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, there's application here for all Christians, right? All of us are involved in kingdom work. All of our lives and ministry and investment will be evaluated by the Lord Jesus Christ. But the context is specifically those that are in spiritual leadership, those that are in in what we maybe would call ministry, realize that we are going to be evaluated by the only one whose opinion matters. 
And the Lord Jesus does not look at outward appearances. He doesn't look at pretension. He doesn't look at educational titles. He's not looking at things that we look at. He is looking to the core of things, the real things. I recently had the opportunity, I saw the grave of a pastor. And on his grave was listed all of his achievements. And they were substantial. I mean, it went on and on. On the gravestone of this pastor, written by, obviously, a fan. I think maybe his mom wrote the gravestone because it was so unbelievable uh, in, its, in its extent. Do you think Jesus is going to say, wow, look at that gravestone. He must have been awesome. No, what's on your gravestone doesn't matter, does it? I see the quote already up there. George Whitfield, the great evangelist, was asked, what do you want on your gravestone? And he said, what I want on my gravestone is this. Here lies G.W. What sort of man he was, the great day will discover. That's the sense of it. To, as, as Luther said, live for two days, this day and that day. And in ministry, and Dan, I charge you with this, to serve at this campus with an eternal perspective. And to realize that there are going to be ups and downs, good days and bad. Those days do not define your success. It is what the Lord Jesus says about it. And it will not be a quantitative judgment. It will be a qualitative judgment. That's what matters. It's a somber reality. It's not all doom and gloom, right? I'm kind of coming heavy here. But it's not all doom and gloom. It could be doom and gloom if we don't serve the Lord in a qualitative way, but on the positive side, to hear the words, what? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want. That's what we aspire to. So Dan, may your ministry here be the kind of ministry that someday receives commendation from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, how do we do that? How does Dan do that? Well, notice again the text. The verse says, They are keeping watch over your souls. What does it mean to be in spiritual leadership? A spiritual leader is somebody that keeps watch over souls. The word there for watch over, it means sleeplessness. Sleeplessness. It's like a parent. I have an 18-month-old daughter. My wife bears most of this responsibility. We have a monitor, a video monitor. I'm convinced my wife, she sleeps with one eye open and one eye closed. At any given moment... What's going on with baby girl? Now, before we were married, she used to look at me that way, but no more. (laughs) What's going on with her? Is she okay? Or maybe off Christmas, what were those shepherds doing before the angels showed up? They were keeping watch over their flocks by night, right? To be a shepherd is to sleep with one eye open. That's the sense of it. Looking over, watching out. Shepherds are called to provide for the sheep, to protect the sheep. What are we protecting them from? The list is long. Moral purity, spiritual purity, vitality of spiritual life. It includes the temperature, spiritually, of the church. It includes the discipleship, the mission of the church. It includes the relationships within the church, the financial stewardship of the church. And on and on you can go with all the things that shepherds need to keep one eye open and to keep one eye on. So let me ask you, what is easier, to be a sheep or to be a shepherd? 
to drive or to ride. Now, what do shepherds need to accomplish this? Notice again the text. It's the rest of the verse. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Okay, so the sense of it here is that within the church, there is to be a kind of relationship, a kind of cooperation within, between the sheep and the shepherds where there is joy that the shepherd has in serving the sheep. Now, a great negative example of this would, of course, be Moses in the Old Testament. Those rascally Israelites. Moses is the leader appointed by God, burning bush, etc. You would think that that would be enough, right? If you lead people through the Red Sea on dry ground, wouldn't you say that for a while there, at least, people would be like, he's a good leader. I think I'm going to follow the guy that parted the Red Sea. You would think he would have wonderful cooperation after something like that. But we find the opposite being the case. Right away, the people begin to grumble against him. And to think back to Egypt, oh, the food we had in Egypt, it was so tasty. And we had meat, oh, that I had meat. Moses, no meat. It was not a pretty situation. Do not follow their example, okay? Dan will feed you meat every meal. They were a burden to Moses. The word here in the text for uh, groaning, it means to sigh. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. And the idea there is that, you know, sigh. Like if I go to Dan and I say, hey, Dan, how's it going? At that campus, he goes, Now, I might look at Dan and say, you're not doing something right, but I'm probably going to look at this campus and say, people, wake up. The guy's burdened. He needs help. He needs encouragement. Come alongside him. Serve in a way within the church where your leadership isn't sighing about it. Rather, they are serving with joy. Now, let's go back to the car driving example, if I might. What kind of things can passengers say in the car that might lead to sighing? You're driving too fast. You're driving too slow. I know a better way. You turn too quickly. You don't turn quick enough. It's hot in here. It's cold in here. Could you avoid the bumps? Why don't we drive like everyone else drives? This car needs a paint job. My seat's not comfortable. Why do you get to drive? Are we there yet? (laughs) All of those, the person driving. (sighs) Now, if you've been around churches for very long, do those kind of questions sound familiar? The kinds of things that sheep will often say to their shepherds that leads to their melancholy and their sighing now what happens over time when leaders get discouraged is it good for the church to have discouraged leadership no in fact who gets hurt by it the church gets hurt by it it is a kind of self-inflicted wound when the sheep are discouraging the shepherd It's bad for everybody. In fact, uh, husbands, isn't 
Isn't it great when that wife's discouraged? Isn't that just wonderful around the house? Or wives, isn't it just great when your husband feels beat down? I've got him right where I want him now. No, what's happening in that house and in that marriage? Everyone's unhappy, right? It's best when husband and wife, mom and dad are joyously serving in their roles. It's good for everybody. And the sense is the same in the church. So the point is, encourage your leaders. Encourage Dan. Encourage Kristen. Encourage them. Things like this, so I can go back to the example. I think you're a wonderful driver, and I love the way you made that U-turn. <laughs> My personal preference would be that it was a little warmer in the car. But if everyone else is comfortable, I am willing to do what's best for the group. We're going a little faster than I would drive, but I know that we're in good hands, Pastor Dan. I know we're in good hands. We're praying for you. Those are the kind of things, when pastors hear that kind of thing, it's just, it's like, it's wind in the sails. It's spiritual uh, energy, and we charge into the next week ready to love God's people and to lead them. And who's that good for? It's good for everybody. It's good for everybody. Now, sometimes confrontation may be needed, and there isn't any of us that is above accountability. But the general feel and vibe when things are spiritually healthy is that encouraged sheep are encouraging their shepherds. And I charge you to do that for this young man right over here. Now, leaders and Dan, we have a responsibility as well here. And notice that our responsibility is joy. Do you see that in the text? How are we to go about our thing? We are to do it in a manner that is befitting the glory of the one that we're talking about. Psalmist says it this way, serve the Lord with gladness. That is the only appropriate way to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When we say that we're servants of the Most High God, that we believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that there is new life to be found in Him, and the whole time we're walking around as leaders, we're like, oh man, this is terrible. It demeans the glory of Christ. But on the other side, when there is joy, and by that it doesn't mean every day we're skipping out the door and everything's wonderful all the time. It's that more deep, enduring gladness in Jesus. When that is the sense that people get, it enlivens the spiritual life of the church. And so, Dan, I want to just say to you, I, you know, the way that we have this, I also am pastor here for this campus, but you, they're going to get it much more from you than from me. You're going to be the face of this place. And your heart is going to be the heart of this place. And I want to challenge you to serve the Lord with gladness. And to do that in the ups and the downs. And there's going to be plenty of ups and downs. But to do that in season and out, it will say something to the campus. That Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And there is new life in him. And so that's the picture, okay? Do you get it? Shepherds following Jesus, expressing their love for him by watching over the church. The church loving Jesus by submitting to leaders placed over them. 
Shepherds loving sheep, sheep lovingly cooperating with shepherds, which produces warmth and vitality within the church. Now, here's the thing, folks. I am absolutely confident that we have a high-quality shepherd in Pastor Dan right here. I am so excited. I mean, it literally brings tears to my eyes, the way that God has provided and the timing of it. It was like a Christmas gift to our church when Dan said, yeah, I'll do it. I've been so happy about how God has provided in Pastor Dan. But you know what? Pastor Dan is, he is young. Okay? He's new. He has served in ministry for quite a long time, but he's never done this role exactly. He has a young daughter. He has a young wife. He has a baby on the way. Do you know what Dan is going to need? He is going to need encouragement. He's going to need even getting going here our first days just to sense from people that we're for you and you can count on us. And, you know, it's going to take a while for him to find his, uh, uh, his legs, uh, to learn the community, to learn the people. It's going to take time. Be patient with him. He's going to make some mistakes probably early on. Love him anyway. And I am totally confident that, he's, that Dan's the man for here. I really am. And I am excited to see what God's going to do at this campus. Now, I just came from Gary. And if you, could, if you get a chance, you all should try sometime just go up taking a service at our Gary campus. It is, uh, it is an experience, right? And the fact that anything is going on in downtown Gary is an act of God. God has worked to provide for that campus, truly. Um, I actually think this campus, in, in some respects, has the greatest potential of all of ours to have an impact. And I could spend more time enumerating why that is the case. But I am even more convinced that that's the case because God has brought this guy to us. Okay, So I'm pumped. I am really excited about what God is going to do here. And I call all of you not only to be a part of it, but be a part of what uh, the Lord would have you to do to uplift this, this uh, new pastor, to pray for him, to encourage him, to love him and his family. And let's see what God does here in the days ahead. I think it's going to be really, really great. I honestly do. So with that, what we'd like to do is...